Those are gracious and dangerous words. Preaching in New Zealand many decades ago, and the pastor said to me before he introduced me to preach, he said, Brother Terry, he said, before you came, we, uh, we covered the clock with a calendar. And he said, we, we don't want you preaching by the clock, you just preach by the calendar. And I said, oh, pastor, those are the nicest words anybody's ever said to me in church. Praise the Lord. I told you this morning, the longest I've ever gone in one session, one service is ten and a half hours, so <clears throat> it's probably not a safe thing to say go as long as you want. Churches are always telling me, everybody tell you, you're going to have all the time you want. I said, that's never happened, you know. But uh, thank God. It's a delight to be here with you. It's a delight to be in the house of God. It's a delight to be in this particular house. And Mike and, and uh, Beth Webb are, are, are dear friends and wonderful people of faith and wonderful people of God. And, and uh, I'm always delighted to come here and so honored that uh, they had asked me to be here in their absence. And um, I said this morning, I don't know if they asked me to be here in their absence just because they don't like me and don't want to see me or, or what, but... But, uh, no, it's a delight to be here in, in their absence, and we've communicated back and forth several times this week. And, and uh, so uh, it's always, 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 always good to be with the saints of God in the house of God. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Say it with me again. I know God is good. Say it like you mean it. I know God is good. And I know his word is truth. You know, I said to you this morning, if you never remember anything else this missionary tells you, just remember those two things. That'll get you out of a lot of trouble. I've been in trouble around the world for 47 years of third world missionary evangelism. I've been in lots of places where they've tried to kill me. And I always come back to those simple, two simple, simple truths, that God is a good God, that whatever's going on, if it's not good, it's not God, that God's a good God, that I know the answer to this is, is that, uh, that God's good. And that his word is truth. And if I can get in his word and find a scripture, find a, find a solution for the problem, then I can, I can make it happen. Amen? Amen? The Lord created in me when I was an 18-year-old kid. We talked about this today at lunch. We, uh, when I was 18, the Lord developed on the inside of me an unshakable confidence in him and his word that if I could just find it in the word, I could make it happen. Amen? Because God's, God's going to honor his word. He said, I watch over my word. I hasten my word to perform it. Psalm 138 verse 2 says God's exalted his word even higher than his name. If he, if he broke his word, he'd have to deny his name. Isn't that right? I mean, I mean the Bible says Satan is a, is a liar. Satan's the father of lies. And if God lied, he'd have to bow his knee to Satan and Satan would become his father. That's just not going to happen. Amen? You know, I just, the Bible's just so simple. You know, we've said, we've made this statement for many, many years. You hear a lot of people say it nowadays. But, uh, but the Bible's just so simple, we've had to have help to misunderstand it. And we certainly have lots of help. We've had lots of help to misunderstand it over the years. But, but it was designed to, to that just anybody could understand it. Jesus preached to fishermen. He preached to farmers. Uh, the Word of God was to, to, meant to, to, to win people in the jungle. And so it doesn't have to be real hard and real difficult. And probably the greatest mistake the church in America and the Western world uh, has made over the centuries is just trying to make the Word just too difficult. My great and dear friend T.L. Osborne, who's, who's gone on to heaven now, uh, Valentine's Day a year ago, uh, T.L. probably had more miracles than anybody in the history of the planet, including Jesus. And um, T.L. was one of the greatest missionaries ever graced the planet. T.L. and Daisy, great people, dear friends from me since I was a teenager. And, uh, you know, T.L. just always talked about the simplicity of the gospel. And I remember one night we were in a we were kind of forced to be at a meeting in, uh, in Tulsa, a huge mid, mid-conference, and very, very, very famous, very famous television healing minister 
uh, was, was ministering. Uh, and, and we sat there through this service. And uh, when it came time for prayer for the sick, uh, T.L. said to me, he said, let's go. And I said, yes, sir. And I, I got up and, and took him out the back door and took him, drove him home. And uh, he, said, he said, you know, he said, isn't that just terrible? I said, I don't know. What are you talking about? And he said, uh, he said, did you see all those sick people there tonight? And I said, yes, sir. He said, you see all those people in wheelchairs there tonight? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, he can't help them. I'm just driving the car, you know, and here's the greatest healing ministry in the planet sitting there. And I said, he can't? And he said, no, he can't help them. He said he preached to us for an hour and a half and told us that, that the anointing was costly. You have to pay for the anointing. He sure made us pay for it by making us sit there that long. And I said, why can't he help them? And he said, because in America, we've just made it too difficult. We've made it too hard. He said, the crowd wants it hard. They don't want a simple gospel. They don't want a simple message. They want a complicated message. And then they want the healing process to be complicated. And I said, could you have helped them? He said, well, of course I could. I said, what would you have done? He said, I'd have preached about 20 minutes and got them healed. You know, we, we, we need to come back to some of that understanding. We need to come back to some of the understanding that it's the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, not our, it's not our being known by our much speaking. It's not our great eloquent words that we wax eloquently. It's, it's, it's being interrupted by the Holy Ghost. Jackie, you and the singers a while ago and the worshipers, that's such a wonderful song. And, and just, just, you just want the Holy Spirit to, to know he's welcome here. You know, we used to always sing that old, old hymn, Holy Spirit, thou art welcome in this place. But, you know, anymore churches don't, churches don't really welcome the Holy Spirit. In fact, one pastor friend of mine, well, he's an ex-friend of mine, uh, uh, has, has, a, has a huge, huge church of tens of thousands of people. And, and they'll hand you a bulletin at the, at the door when you walk in on Sunday morning. And it flatly says in the bulletin, there will be no move of the Holy Spirit in the Sunday morning service. Well, now, you know, you might as well get up and sing, Holy Spirit, thou art not welcome in this place. Because he's not. Holy Spirit, you mind your own business and you be quiet. You are not going to show up on Sunday morning. You don't show up on Wednesday night. We might talk about that. But you're not going to show up on Sunday morning. Now, is that sad or is that beyond sad? People have asked me for many, many years, Brother Terry, talk, tell us about revivals. Talk to us about revivals. What, what, I, I've always said this. Well, the definition of revival is being interrupted by the Holy Spirit. And most churches aren't willing to be interrupted anymore because we've got our set time. We've got things down to a science. We know, we know, we know we're going to sing three fast songs and three slow songs. We know we're going to make the announcement. We're going to receive the offering. And we may sing a special at the, at the, at the offering. And then we're going to preach a, a message. And then we're going, to, we're going to wind up and go home. And we know when we're going home. And, and there's no time for any interruption. And there's nothing wrong with having a schedule. Nothing wrong with doing that if the Holy Ghost isn't going to show up. In fact, I kind of like that. If the Holy Spirit isn't going to show up, I kind of like knowing when I'm going to get in and when I'm going to get out. Isn't that right? And I go to a lot of churches where, I mean, it's down to the minute. It's like the offertory will be three minutes. This, this song will be this many minutes. This, this special will be this many minutes. This, this will happen. This will happen. This will happen. And we're done. And so if the Holy Spirit isn't going to show up, that's, that's, that's cool. But what we really want is the Holy Spirit to blow that schedule out of the water. We want the Holy Spirit to walk in the house, to fall in the house, and to interrupt us.
So we, we want to welcome him. It's like that song we just sang. You're, you're welcome here. You're welcome here. You're, you're welcome here. We want you to interrupt us. Amen? And that's, that's what revival is all about. That's when miracles happen and things happen. It's when, it's when the Holy Spirit interrupts what we had planned. And, you know, it may, it, may, it may take us a different direction. It may take us longer than we intended to spend. But, you know, if the Holy Spirit's in the place, you don't care. Now, if he's not, you do care. Nobody wants to just sit in church forever and hear somebody flop their jaws. But, you, but if the Holy Spirit shows up, you just, you just don't care. That, that service I was talking about that went ten and a half hours, you know, I mean, the Holy Spirit fell in the place. And, uh, and that was a long, long time ago. That particular service was in 1982. And, but people that were there that, that service that Wednesday night, to this day now, all these many years later, however many years that is, from 82 to now, uh, people still say, oh, I was there the Wednesday night. Or I got healed the Wednesday night. Because God showed up in a place and did creative miracles. I mean creative miracles. Blind eyes open, deaf ears unstopped. Just tremendous, powerful things happened. But the Holy Spirit interrupted what we had intended to do. Amen? So our, our cry should be, Holy Spirit, interrupt us. We, we want you to interrupt us. You're welcome to interrupt us. We've got, we've got a plan and we've got a schedule and we know what we're going to do, but, but it, we're, it's not set in stone. If you'll show up and interrupt us, we'll be, we'll be really happy about that. If we don't get to preach, we'll be really happy about that. If we don't get to make announcements, we'll be happy about that. We don't care. If you show up, then you just, you just do what you want to do. Amen? And uh, he always wants to do the will of God. If he does it, it's always going to be good, and it's going to be true. Amen? Praise the Lord. Well, thank God for the Holy Ghost. Amen. Brother John Osteen used to always say, thank God for the Holy Ghost. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Well, we just, you know, we just appreciate the Holy Spirit falling in the place and interrupting and doing whatever he wants to do. Amen. But it is. It's a delight to be with you. I I'm, I'm should have said this this morning when the place was full so you could have, more people could have heard what your church is doing. But, but uh, I, I, I totally forgot to say it this morning, so let me say it tonight. And uh, um, back at Christmas time, I sent out a text message to just a, a handful of personal friends of mine that are pastors, not to my whole mailing list or not to my partners, or, but I just sent a text to a handful of pastors, and your pastor, Mike Webb, happened to be one of them. And, uh, and, and I said, you know, every year Christmas time, we endeavor to uh, uh, make sure orphans around the world have Christmas because at Christmas time, people get busy and people get stressed and they get pulled and they get stretched, and I understand that. I've got grandkids and kids, and so I understand that at Christmas time, you're, you're, you're you know, trying to make all that happen. And uh, so... Uh, Typically, orphans get forgotten at Christmas time, just like typically ministry gets forgotten at Christmas time, which is kind of weird since Christmas is about Jesus. But uh, nevertheless, ministry and missions and, and, uh, and, and orphans will get put on the back burner during that period of time. And that always bothers me because I think those kids need Christmas too. You know, they need to know somebody loves them and so on and so forth. So, so uh, even though we've always endeavored to give them Christmas, I'd never made an appeal before. But, but, uh, but the last two years in a row, the last two years, I have just sent a text to some handful of pastors that are friends and, and just said, hey, we want to do Christmas and, and people get, orphans get forgotten at Christmas. And so, you know, if you just, if you just, if you just ask your people just for a dollar, you know, I know they're stressed. I know they're pushed. I know they're stretched. I know their faith is stretched. I know they got things they got to do. But if, if everybody in the church just gave a dollar, that's all, not, not $10, not $20, not $100. Everybody's gave a dollar, you know, then, you know, then it'd be a hundred dollars here and a hundred dollars there and a hundred dollars there. And we could buy these kids some, some Christmas. And, uh, 
And so the last two years that I've done that, this church has sent us some tremendous offerings. I mean, huge offerings. I, I forget the amount this year. It was, it was several thousands of dollars. And, uh, and last year, it was something like $15,000. I mean, a tremendous, just, just a humongous offering. But I just wanted to give that report that y'all sent, all, y'all sent money. Uh, and, and I mean, about three weeks before Christmas, it didn't look too good. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, we were, we were on our face and praying and saying, Lord, we're, 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 we got orphans we need to take care of. We need to get some things done. And, uh, and there's just zero, zero money. But within just a few days, uh, tens of thousands of dollars came in. And uh, so we were able to send tens of thousands of dollars to uh, ten, different orph- 10 different orphanages in five different nations, in India, in Romania, in Mexico, in Haiti, and in Jamaica. And uh, just, just bless these, these kids for Christmas. And uh, one particular orphanage in, in Romania that, I, that I've, it's not mine, but I have a lot to do with it, and I invest a lot in it, and I've got a lot of leeway and a lot of say in it. Um, uh, just before Christmas, their boiler went out. And uh, in that part of the world, they have pretty harsh winters, and the boiler doesn't just supply hot water. It supplies heating for the home. And so that meant they did not only did not have hot water, but they were in a Romanian winter, didn't have heating for the home. And so the, uh, the boiler cost was $2,100 to replace the boiler. And so when they, they contacted me and said their boiler, had gone, their boiler had gone out, then I immediately told them, I said, well, go ahead and replace it, and I'll pay for it. And I didn't have the money to do it. I just figured, well, by the time they get it ordered and get it there, I'll have the money. And uh, so anyway, we were able to replace that boiler. And not only that, but send tens of thousands of dollars. I mean tens of thousands of dollars to, to these ten different orphanages in, in uh, uh, five different nations. So thank you for that. And this church was a major part of that. And uh, we do appreciate you for doing that. But I should have said that this morning when the, when the bigger crowd was here so you'd know some of the things your church is involved in and your church has done. And uh, you've partnered with us in missions around the world and, and uh, uh, not only with us but with the orphans and, and orphanages that we're, uh, we help and that we're, we're involved in. There's, there's books and, and CD series back at the back. There's also a, a machine back there with an iPad that you just simply uh, run your credit card through it uh, and, and can purchase the, the, the CD series or the are the books and uh, that sort of thing. Those are all back there for you. They're not back there for me. I didn't bring them to help me. I brought them to help you. And uh, I can honestly say there's not anything back there that's theory. There's not anything back there that I think might work. I mean, that's 47 years of third world missionary evangelism that I know for a fact works. And it works all over the world. It works in every nation of the world. And it works in the jungle, the mountains. It works for poor people, rich people. It works for everybody. And so those things are back there. They'll bless you. They'll help you. Uh, there's also a place back there on that iPad where you can even donate to orphans if you want to or donate to the ministry if you want to. You just slide your credit card and, and, uh, and gone. And, and uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice little thing to use and to do. So that's back there, and it, uh, it, it will be a blessing to you and minister to you. Amen. Are you all here tonight? Well, stand up with me. And let's, uh, let's get back into the Word. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for this morning's service and that the foundation that was laid. We thank you that we're blood warriors. We thank you that we're warriors of the covenant, that we're men and women of God that are not left here without hope, not left here without defense, not left here without weapons, but that you've equipped us completely, totally, and absolutely to be blood warriors, to absolutely stand and be conquerors more than to win and to win every time, not to win some and lose some, but to win every time, that you've equipped us for healing, you've equipped us for miracles, you've equipped us for the supernatural, you've equipped us for prosperity and for blessing and for increase. You you have equipped us, Father, for everything that we need to prosper and be successful on this planet, spirit, soul, body, 
family, finances, home, ministry, in every area of our lives. We're, we're not just, like the Bible says, we're not just mere men. We're not just mere women. We're not just uh, people left here without any kind of hope. We're, we're more than conquerors. And we're about the master's business. And Father, I thank you that we're not natural people, but supernatural people. Thank, thank you that we operate in the spirit realm and in the spirit world and that we're, we're not like our next door neighbor and the guy down the street. We're not just left our own devices, but we have heaven's devices. And we thank you for it. We can take authority and dominion over hell's devices and bind them and rebuke them and, and stop them. And we thank you for it. And Father, I thank you for speaking to us tonight. As I've already talked to you about, I ask you that I not speak of myself nor in the flesh, but the Holy Spirit, the greater one that indwells me, rise up big within me now and think through my thoughts and speak through my lips and minister words that will get on the inside of us and create faith, for faith comes by hearing the word. As we hear the word tonight, faith will rise in this place. Father, faith will rise in this place. Faith will rise in this place. And if faith rises, you're able to touch us at the point of our faith and do miracles, restoration, deliverance, whatever needs to be done in the house. That, Father, I ask you that the tangible anointing of the Holy Ghost of Acts falls in this place right now and the destroying anointing, the anointing that destroys the yoke of bondage, the anointing destroy cancer and age and HIV and whatever, what, whatever other yoke is represented in the house tonight, whether it's in the family, the home, the, the physical body, the finances, or whatever it might be, that the anointing destroy the yoke in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for healing, miracles, restoration, deliverance. And, Father, when we say restoration, we, we in our own minds, we, we tend to think as uh, in this country of just uh, restoring something the way it used to be. We think of taking an old car and restoring it to good as new. We take an old house and, and restore it to good as new. But, Father, when you think restoration, the Bible says when you restored Job, he had twice as much. So we thank you for restoration by biblical terms tonight. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, for restoring what the devil's stolen. Thank you, Father. And, Father, may we leave this house tonight saying, Surely the Lord, not Terry Mize, the Lord has ministered to us. May we leave this house tonight realizing we're bigger than we thought we were, better than we thought we were, can do more than we thought we could do in any area of our lives because we're Christians, not mere men, but Christian men and women, Christ-like ones, imitators of King Jesus. And we go to give living bread to dying men around the world. We go with miracles. We go with deliverance. We go with signs and wonders. We, we go with healing. We, we go with encouragement. We go with Holy Ghost power. And we thank you for it and give you the glory and honor and power and dominion in the majestic and holy name of King Jesus. The name that heaven's never failed to honor and our hell's never failed to tremble at. The name of Jesus Christ, the righteous, and we thank you for it. Amen. 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 I about prayed myself happy. I don't know about you. Praise the Lord. Go ahead and be seated. Praise the Lord.
Thank you, Father. We talked this morning a little bit about blood warriors, and we, we used a couple of different scriptures. I won't go over them again, but we did use 1 Timothy 6.20 and 2 Timothy 2.14-21, through 21, where, where the apostle Paul said twice to Timothy, beware or shun or stay away from or avoid vain and repetitious babblings. And he said, you've got to stay away from words that don't have profit. And he talked a little bit about how that if you don't, it'll err and cause you to go into error. And, uh, and then Jesus himself said in Matthew 6, uh, verse 7, when you pray, don't use vain repetitions like the heathen do. And so there's a, there's a, there's a big deal in heaven, as you well know, because you know, I know Mike Webb and what he preaches to you, but your words are a big deal. Confession is a big deal. Declaration is a big deal. I said to you this morning, the, the Bible has over 3,000 scriptures about, about words, tongue, lips, <laughs> mouth, you know, speaking, and, and, and God's telling us something. Everything he did, he, he did with his words. And if we go back to Genesis chapter, chapter 1, when God created the world in verse 3 and verse 6 and verse 9 and verse 14 and verse 20, it says, and God said, and it was so. Everything he wanted to create, and God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. Amen? And so we, we see that all the way through the Word of God, from I mean from Genesis 1 all the way through, Old Testament and New, that God speaks and causes things to happen, that the prophets of God and the people of God spoke and caused things to happen, that Jesus spoke and caused things to happen, the disciples spoke and caused things to happen. And when the church speaks, it causes things to happen. But we have to get our speaking straight and get it in line with the Word of God. We can't just go make up our own, write our own script. Amen? We've got to go find out what the Word of God has to say and declare that and say that. And uh, God honors His Word. He's watching over His Word to perform it. Amen. You know, when Jesus was walking on the water after being in prayer and the disciples He had sent on ahead, and so they're in the boat going across the water, and Jesus decides to join them, and so He just takes a, He just walks on the water and He's going to intercept them. The intention is He's going to intercept them and get in the boat with them and go on over to the other side with them. That's all, that's all the plan was. But when they saw him, the Bible says it scared them, and they thought he was a ghost. These great spiritual giants. And they looked out there and saw this guy walking on the water and thought it was a ghost. And so Jesus immediately said what he always said and what all the angels that ever showed up Old Testament news said, that don't be afraid. Fear not. Don't get in fear. Because fear is the opposite of what? Faith. God operates on faith. The devil operates on fear. And, and we have to understand that. And that's always whatever angel said when he showed up. And that's what Jesus said when he showed up. And that's what we all tell ourselves all the time. Don't fear. And so Jesus said, don't fear not. It's me. Now, stop and think about heaven. Heaven usually... The angels usually are underworked and overpaid. Angels usually don't have a lot to do because the church doesn't know how to put them to work. The church doesn't know how to use them. And, and they'll only be used the way that their creator instructed them to be used. So we can't just come up with weird ways to use them. They won't respond to that. They only respond whenever we do it the way the Word tells us to. Amen. Amen? Amen? So these angels, just get this picture in your head. The angels are all sitting around in heaven. And they're watching this scene. They ain't got anything better to do. They're watching this scene. Because there's Jesus. And he's walking on the water. That's cool. And there's the boys in the boat. They're out there in the boat. And so the angels are just sitting there watching this whole thing. And heaven's watching this thing. 
Because remember, God says, Jeremiah 1.12, I watch over my word to perform it. So somebody in heaven is always, always, always watching the earth to see if somebody uses the word. Somebody's always on duty to watch the earth in case somebody would possibly use the word. Usually they don't, so heaven doesn't have to do much, but they've always got to be on guard. They've always got to be on duty in case somebody breaks out of the pack and quits being a mere man and says, in the name of Jesus, and uses the word. Then heaven has to do something. Heaven has to, and watching that word, and if somebody uses that word, heaven has to do something. And so heaven's watching this whole scene. Jesus is over there praying. The boys are in the boat. Jesus starts walking on the water. And heaven says, that's cool. Jesus is going to walk on the water, get out there in the boat with those guys. That's, that's great. But then all of a sudden, they get scared, and they think it's a ghost. So heaven's probably sitting around saying, those guys think he's a ghost. Come on, guys. He's not a ghost. What's the deal? And all of a sudden, Jesus says, fear not. Heaven's used to that. That's the, that would be the standard classic thing to say. Fear not. It's me. But then Peter says this weird thing. Peter could have just said, great. And, and, and if he had, Jesus would have just walked over there, got in the boat, and then it went to the other side and everything would have been cool. But Peter comes up with this idea. And Peter stands up and says, well, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. Can you imagine heaven watching this? Say, wow, do you hear what he said? Peter just told Jesus, if it's you, bid me come. Jesus is going to have to bid him come because it is him. And if he doesn't bid him come, he's going to think it's not him. And he just told him it is him. So I wonder what's going to happen. Get ready, guys, in case, in case somebody uses the word here. And Jesus is standing there thinking, I just told him it's me. And I was going to walk over there and get in the boat with him. But now he says, if it's you, bid me come. And it's certainly me. If I don't bid him come, he's going to think it's not me. But it is me, so I have no choice but to bid him come right i've had people say for the years i wonder why jesus made peter get out of that boat and walk he didn't jesus made peter made jesus do it jesus didn't make peter do it peter's the one that caused this thing if peter kept his mouth shut jesus walked over there got in the boat and they won't go on the other side but peter said lord if it's you bid me come and jesus said well it's certainly me so uh come now, when he said, come, don't you know heaven stood up and said, oh, we better get ready. Should Peter really move on this word? If Peter really moves on the word of Jesus, if he really moves on this word, we have to do something because we're, we're watching the word to perform it. We're not watching Jesus. We're not watching Peter. We're watching the word to perform it. Jesus has just issued the word, Come. Now, if Peter just sits there, we won't do anything. But if Peter literally moves on this word, we've got to do something. And lo and behold, Peter stands up, probably to everybody's surprise, 
and steps his foot out the boat. And when he did, heaven moved. What they did, I don't know. I don't know if they made the water hard or Peter light. I don't know. But heaven moved so that Peter could walk on the water because of that word. Amen? Had nothing to do with anything else except heaven watching over the word to perform it. They're not performing for Peter. They're not performing for Jesus. They're, 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 they're backing up the word so that the word will be performed. They're watching over the word to perform it. So Peter, we forget this sometimes. Peter, everybody just thinks, yeah, Peter sank. No, no, no. We forget that he walked. He literally walked on the water. All the way out, I don't know how far this was, how many yards this was out there, but, uh, I mean, it was obviously a ways because they didn't recognize Jesus, thought he was a ghost, so they didn't, he wasn't close enough for them to recognize him. So he walked out there almost to where Jesus was, or right out to where Jesus was, close enough for Jesus to grab him, right? But before he got there, the devil sat on his shoulder, which is his job, and he said, Peter, the wind's blowing. And Peter, the Bible says, Peter, realizing that the wind was blowing, began to sink. Doesn't say sink. Said he began to sink. And said, Lord, help me. And Jesus grabbed him by the hand. Right? Now, you and I both know that the wind blowing has nothing to do with whether you can walk on water or not. Has nothing whatsoever to do with that. It's just something to get your mind off of what the Lord told you to do. God's commanded some of you to do some tremendous things, and then, and then while you were going, all of us, me too, while we were going, the devil got on our shoulder and said, Psst, the wind's blowing, or the market's bad, or the economy's bad, or, or, or the Republicans did this, or the Democrats did that, or, 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 or somebody did something, which has nothing to do with what God told us to do. It just gets our mind off of what we're doing and what God said it gets, our, gets us in our head instead of in our heart. It gets us, gets us off our faith, and we begin to sink. And what God intended to happen and what you intended to happen doesn't happen. It could have happened, should have happened, but the devil's job is to get your attention and to get you quit looking at Jesus, to quit looking at the Word, to quit, to quit moving on nothing else but the Word, but to start moving on your feelings and on your circumstances and on what you see and hear. Amen? You know, we can go out here to a swimming pool or to the ocean or to, to anywhere else, and the water's nice and calm and there's no wind blowing whatsoever. You still can't walk on it. It has nothing to do with anything. But the Bible says when Peter realized the wind was boisterous, he began to sink. When Peter realized, Mark, that the wind was blowing, he began to sink. As long as he's looking at Jesus and he's just happy as a hog in a turnip patch walking out to Jesus... Staring Jesus right in the eye and walking on water. Everything was cool. But all of a sudden it hit him, the wind's blowing. Oh no, the wind's blowing. I can't walk on water. The wind's blowing. And so he began to sink. Now, we know that heaven, all of heaven moved because of Peter moving on that word, right? But what did heaven do for those other 11 guys in the boat? Not a thing. Heaven did nothing for them because they didn't any of them move. They just sat there in the boat 
went on over the other side, didn't make heaven mad, didn't make God mad, didn't upset Jesus. It's just that there was nothing for heaven to do for them. Heaven only moves for you when you move on the Word. When the Word's at stake, when the Word's involved, when the Word's out there, heaven moves because they like you. No. Heaven moves to perform the Word. Somebody's moving on the Word. Somebody's speaking the Word. Somebody's acting on the Word. Somebody, somebody's involved with the Word here. We've got to make the Word good. Their job is to make the Word good. Right? So for those other 11 guys, heaven did nothing for them. Can't you imagine the testimony service the next day? Those guys sitting around a campfire. And I tell you, you know, and, and uh, uh, you know, Matthew says, oh, Peter, that was so exciting last night. Man, that was, that was the greatest thing I ever saw in my life. When you stepped out of that boat and started walking to you, that was the coolest thing. You know, and John said, I tell you what, I got goosebumps all over my goosebumps. I'm, I was sitting right next to you, buddy, when you stood up and stuck your foot out of the boat on that water and you hit it and started walking. I've never in my life have seen, that was the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. And so they all sat there and said, we all, we witnessed it. We saw the miracle. We were there. How do you think Peter felt? Peter walked. So if you get the fact that he began to sing, he walked. He walked. Heaven moved for him. When I was just a kid, I heard some, I heard some preacher say, well, preach a sermon one time on, on, on that particular story. And he said, would you, rather be a, would you rather be a dry boat rider or a wet water walker? I remember going up to him after service and said, I don't want to be a dry boat rider or a wet water walker. I want to be a dry water walker. Amen. I want to walk and not sink. Years ago, years ago, I was preaching an open air crusade in India in a particular town and and had thousands of people in the crowd. This wasn't a monster crusade. Like some of my crusades are 100,000 people or 50,000 or something like that. This one wasn't that, that big. It was in a smaller smaller place. And so there was probably, I don't know, six, 8,000 people there. I forget the exact number. But it was, it was a good bunch of people, but it wasn't a monster crusade. And uh, at the end of the service, uh, I, I prayed for, for miracles. And, and, uh, uh, and, and when we do that, we don't lay hands on people because the crowd's too big. You can't lay hands on that many people. We just pray for what we call a mass prayer or a prayer for the masses, one prayer for everybody and let the Holy Ghost fall on them and heal them and then tell them to come up and tell what they got healed of. And so they, come up and give, they came up and gave testimonies of what they had healed, been healed of and this and that. And then great miracles had taken place, great wonderful miracles, and the blind eyes and deaf ears and, and cripples walking. Good, good, good testimony, wonderful testimonies, wonderful miracles. And then people got saved and gave their lives to Jesus and so on and so forth. And I closed the service down. I shut down the service and told people to come back tomorrow night and so on and so forth. And then I, I just sat down on the platform. I learned years and years ago when there's a crowd like that, you can't try to leave because they'll surge on you. And, and if it's a huge crowd, those, those big, 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 you know, you hear every now and then of a, you know, on, the, on the news of some soccer game somewhere in Europe that, that, you know, people just stampede, they just surge. And when they do, the people in front get trampled, or little kids or older people or, or, or ill people get, just get trampled by the crowd. And that same thing will happen in a crusade if you don't really shut it down and control it because when, when they see that you're up there and they think that you're bringing hope to them and then you, you start to leave, then their, their thought is get to you. You know, and so I've had them grab me and rip my clothes and tear my clothes and, you know, kiss my hand, fall and kiss my feet and, you know, and, and he's falling down and picking them up saying, it's not me, it's Jesus, get up, get up, it's not me. And so finally, years ago, I got smart enough to quit trying to move. You know, I've had them wear, grab my wife and grab my kids, you know, they just want to touch you. I, I get that. And so, so years ago, I just stopped trying to go anywhere and I just sat back down on the platform. So, 
you know, I stay nice and still, they stay nice and still. And, and so then, you know, we'll just sit there and talk about, you know, with, uh, go over the testimonies and go over the miracles and somebody's up there on the, on the platform taking notes and, 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 you know, doing that kind of stuff and we're talking about the different miracles. And, and every now and then, then I'd look up to see how the crowd's doing because they'll stand there for a while and then they'll start to leave, you know. And when they finally leave, enough of them leave, then when it's not dangerous to anybody, then we'll get up and go to the van or car and go to the, back to our hotel. And so that's what I was doing this particular night. I was just sitting there talking to my wife and, and, and whoever was there else with me, some pastors or friends of mine or whatever, and, 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 every, and drinking something, you know, cold to drink. And so we're just sitting there. And every now and then I'd look up and check the crowd, you know, and there's still too many people. So I'd just, do, you know, go on while I'm doing that. I'd check the crowd. Then I'd go on. Then I'd check the crowd. And so this one particular time I looked up, and, uh, and the crowd was, was dispersing. There wasn't but maybe 1,000 or 1,500 people left, but they, were, but they were in pockets now. They were in groups of like 10 and 12 and, you know, 5 or 6, and, and there was big gaps and big holes. It was no longer a, a wall of people, no longer a big crowd, and, and we, could, we could maneuver. And so uh, then I, I waited a couple of minutes, and I looked up, and it got, you know, better. But this time when I looked up, I saw out to the right-hand side quite a ways out in the crowd Maybe a, maybe a good hundred yards out in the crowd, I saw there was an ox cart, big old ox cart, big old wooden ox cart with great old big wheels, you know, wooden wheels. And, uh, and I, saw, I hadn't seen it before because of the crowd. And so now the crowd is dispersed enough, I see this ox cart. And so I look at this ox cart and I look at it closer and realize there's somebody laying in this ox cart. And there's three guys standing beside the ox cart. So I stood up and picked up a microphone and I said, I said, hey, what's wrong with, the, with that person in the ox cart? And so they yelled back and said, he's paralyzed. And then people passed the word along, you know, he's paralyzed. And so I just pitched the microphone down on the, on the platform, and I jumped off the platform and just walked out there to where he was. And the whole time I'm walking out there, I'm just, I'm just praying, and I'm looking at him, trying to see what I'm dealing with. And, and, and I'm just saying, Father, greater is he within me than he is within the world. Thank you for healing this person. As I got close, I saw he was a man. I saw he was gray-headed, so he's, he's an older gentleman. And, uh, and, and he's laying there in this ox cart, and these three guys, his three friends are standing there right beside the ox cart. And, it, and as I got uh, close enough to him, then I, 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 I said, Sir, I just started saying, you know, probably 20 yards away, Sir, the anointing of God went into you tonight. I prayed in the name of Jesus, and you're healed. And I'm walking towards him as I'm talking. And, and, and the, the power of God went in you, and you're healed. You're healed. I want you to receive that and understand that. I want you to understand you're healed. By this time, and by this time, I'm to him. And so I just reach over in that Oscar and grab him by the hands, and I put my foot up on that Oscar and I say, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And I just jerked him out of that ox cart. And whenever I did, he hit the ground, and, uh, and, and, and his knees buckled. And when his knees buckled, I grabbed him, and his three friends came and grabbed him. So the four of us are holding this guy up, and he's standing there like this, you know. And, and I just got right in his face, nose to nose. And I said, sir, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. You're healed by the stripes of Jesus. You're healed. Do you understand me? You're healed. The anointing of God went in you, and you're healed. Stand, stand up here with me. And what I did is I took him by his elbows like this and got right in his face and said, you're healed, now walk. I want you to move your feet. Walk, walk. Now come on, walk, walk. And I began to move him like this. But I stayed right in his face and yelling at him. Go ahead, sit down. Now, why did I do that? Just because I'm being a jerk? No, I don't want the devil sitting on his shoulder saying, psst, you're paralyzed. Psst, you're crippled. Psst, you can't walk. I'm trying to get all of his attention right here. And his three friends are holding him. I'm holding him. Somebody hands him a stick, and he's got this stick. 
and he's just standing there like this, and, and I've got him by his elbows like I did you. And I said, walk, move your foot, move your foot. Come on, move it right now in the name of Jesus. And he, he picked his foot up a little bit and just barely moved it. And, and then I said, come on, move your other foot, move your other foot. And he, he did. It was, almost a, it was almost, instead of him moving it, it was almost more like a weight swing, like shifting his body to where he could swing it. I mean, he was not moving it like you and I move it. You understand? But he was moving and so, and I'm just standing in his face. Come on, you're healed by the stripes of the anointing of God, the power of God when you're healed. You can walk. Now walk in the name of Jesus. Move your foot. And so I just stayed in his face like that. Again, not because I'm trying to be a jerk. Sometimes people look at preachers and say, boy, he's a jerk. And I get that. Somebody could have looked at me and said, he's a real jerk to that guy. That guy's paralyzed. What's wrong with him? But what's my point? My point is I don't want the devil sitting up here saying, Psst, you can't walk. Psst, you're paralyzed. Psst, the wind's blowing. Right? And sometimes that's what you need to do to your own self or to your husband or wife or whoever you're with to get in their face. Can I say obnoxiously? (laughs) To get in their face and tell them what the Word says and tell them they can do what the Word says. Amen? And so so I, I had him do that two or three times, and finally one of his friends, I pushed him away. So now it's two friends and me and the stick. And so I just kept on, in Jesus' name, walk. Come on, move your foot. Come on, walk in Jesus' name. And he took another little step, a little better step. So I pushed another friend away, and that's me and one friend in the stick. And then pretty soon I pushed the other friend away, and that's me and him in the stick. And then in a little bit I grabbed the stick and threw it away, and I've got him, it's just me and him now. And I'm just saying, come on, walk, come on, come on, move, come on. Come on, you're doing good. Move, move, you're healed, you're healed. And he's, he's doing a little bit better now. And finally the power of God hit him, and he straightened up, and he began to run. And he ran all the way. He ran and he ran and he ran and he ran. And so I just stopped and walked back to the platform while he's running. And uh, I went back up here to the platform. It's about this tall, you know. And, and I just leaned up against the platform and watched him run and waited for him. And then whenever he got through running, he came up there to where I was. And, and, uh, and I took the microphone so I could record it. And I said, now, what, what's your story? Tell me your story. And he said, I've been in paralyzed for the last year and a half in the hospital. Told me the name of the hospital. And he said, I can't move, can't get up. They bring a bedpan to me. I can't go to the bathroom. Uh, totally paralyzed. No medical help for me whatsoever. He said, this morning, a Christian doctor, thank God for Christian doctors. He said, this morning, a Christian doctor said, you know what? We can't help you. And you've been here for a year and a half and we can't do anything for you. And, but there's a man of God in town named Terry Mize having crusades and having miracles. Why don't you get somebody to take you down there and see if God will help you? And so he found three friends. Thank God for three friends. If it hadn't been for the friends, he wouldn't have been there. If it hadn't been for the doctor, he wouldn't have been there. See, I'm not the hero of this story. The hero of this story is the doctor and the three friends. Isn't that right? They're the ones that made this thing happen. And so so he said, and so, you know, I came tonight. These three friends brought me in. And, uh, you know, I looked at these three guys. Man, they're all just grinning like the cat that swallowed the canary. They're, they're, all, they're all more happy than he is, you know. I mean, they pushed him down there in that ox car, but they're not going to have to take him back that way. And so um, I got his testimony, and then I asked him, I said, Sir, what's your name? And when I said, What's your name? He just dropped his head like that. And I said, Sir, what's your name? And he just shook his head no. And I said, Sir, tell me your name. He said, I can't tell you my name. And I knew what he was going to say. I, this isn't my first rodeo. I've done this before, but I wanted to hear him say it. I said, Why can't you tell me your name? He said, Because I'm named after a Hindu god. And he said, Tonight Jesus has healed me. And tonight I've accepted Jesus and prayed to him, and uh, I've got to have a Christian name. And I said, all right, from this day forward, your name's David. He jerked his head up and looked at me and said, from this night forward, my name's David. 
And he, he changed his name, changed his life on the spot. Now, a year later, I was back in that same town and went, went and saw him, visited with him. He was completely healed and well. And I said, tell me about you last year. What's been going on? He said, man, I went back to the hospital and showed the doctor. The doctor rejoiced. And we went all through the hospital and showed the, doc, the other doctors, the nurses and the patients. And, and uh, they, some of them rejoiced. And they were all shocked and said, we prayed for some people. And some people got healed and uh, got out of the hospital. And, you know, and, and, but, but see, my whole point was don't let the devil get up there and whisper in his ear, you can't do it. Because heaven's watching the Word to perform the Word. Watching the Word to perform the Word. Amen? See, if we're going to be blood warriors, it's not a passive thing. It's not just that we sit in our little house and read our little Bible and say, okay, Lord, hocus pocus, do this and do that. No, we're, we're going to have to be warriors about this thing. We're going to have to get serious about this thing. It's like I said to you this morning. You know, you can tell that little dog, now, puppy, go home. Go home. You can't go home. You're going to get hurt out here. And that dog won't ever do it. He'll just wag his tail and follow you all the way to work. But you stomp your foot and change your attitude and your tone and say, go home. Then he'll go home. That's why, you, and that's why I said this morning, you have to treat the devil the same way. You have to treat cancer the same way. You have to treat every one of these things that attacked you the exact same way. You get tough with it. You get, you get uh, warrior-like with it instead of this, this passive mealy-mouthed, charismaniac. You know, war is not pretty. War is not nice. War is not fun. It's, it's a battle. It's a battle. You're in a war. The devil's attacking you. You have an enemy. He's out there trying to kill you every day, every day, every day, every day, trying to. His job, Jesus said his job, John 10, 10, Jesus said the thief comes to what? Steal kill and destroy that's what he's here for he didn't have another job he's not here for any other purpose except to steal and kill and destroy that's his job he's the devil he's always trying to steal from you steal your husband steal your wife steal your kids steal your money steal your health steal your peace he's always trying to steal he's always trying to kill you always trying to kill your kids kill you kill your marriage kill your business always trying to kill He's always trying to destroy, kill and steal and destroy, and kill and steal and destroy, and kill and steal and destroy. Jesus said the thief has come. That's what he's come for. He's come to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, but I have come. Thank God. But I have come that you might have life and that more abundantly. But see, that's not an automatic thing. Had, the, had Adam not sinned, it'd all be automatic. If we were just in the Garden of Eden where God intended us to be, it'd just all work. There'd be no devil. There'd be no problems. There'd be no sin. There'd be no sickness. There'd be no killing, stealing, destroying. It just, faith would just work. The Word would work. God would work. Everything would work without any, without any complication. Right? But Adam changed all that. And because he changed all that, we have a viable enemy that's always out looking to kill you. The devil, the Bible says, wanders around as a roaring lion. He's not a roaring lion, but he acts like one, uh, seeking whom he may devour. He wants to steal. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy. And so our job is to understand that, that if it's killing, stealing, destroying, it's not God, it's the devil. If it's life in abundance, that's God. If it's good, it's God. If it's bad, it's the devil. It's just as simple as that. And we have to always be ready and, and alert, always alert, because he's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. So you've got to be vigilant 
You know, they tell the story in history of Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great, as he was moving across Europe and conquering everywhere he went, he, uh, one night he got up and walked through the camp and checked the sentries. And he came across one young soldier that was asleep at his post. And the story goes that Alexander jumped on him and physically began to just beat the thunder out of him until the soldiers had to pull him off of him. And they said, you're going to kill him. You're going to kill him. You're going to kill him. And so he stood up and he said, get him up. And they stood the kid up and he was so mad. And he said, what's your name, soldier? And the kid said, my name's Alexander, sir. And that made him even more angry. And he said, you either change your name or change your life. And that's what we're going to have to do. You're going to be named after me. You better, you better act right. Well, if we're going to be named after Jesus, we're going to be named after God. We're going to have to act like it. And we're going to have to either change our name or change our life. Isn't that right? We, this is no time to be AWOL. There's no time to be asleep at the wheel. There's no time. You know, you, you know God, we need to see the world as a, as a, as a, as a, as a ship. And the church is at the wheel. That's what God intended. He intended the church to be an authority the church to be in dominion, the church to be driving this thing. Amen. Amen. Old Testament and New, we see all through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament, it was not the king, the queen, the prime minister, the parliament, it was not the politicians, it was not, it was not them who was in charge, it was always the church or the man of God or the prophet that was in charge. Every king understood that and knew it, even though they didn't like it, and some of them didn't adhere to it, and when they didn't adhere to it, they paid the penalty. But it was those prophets that would go to the king and tell the king what to do. It was Nathan the prophet that came to King David and said, King, you've sinned, and because you've sinned, your baby's going to die. That's the prophet talking to the king. Not the king running things. Not the president running things. Not the prime minister running things. Not the queen running things. It's, it's the prophet running things. Isn't that right? You know, King Ahab was married to this wicked woman, and Ahab was a bad guy. The Bible said nobody's as bad as him. He's a bad guy. And yet he was married to this perverted woman named Jezebel, and the two of them together was quite a bad. And so one day Ahab sees this vineyard that he wants, and it's owned by a guy by the name of Naboth. And so King Ahab goes to Naboth and says, Hey, buddy, I really like your vineyard, and I want to buy it from you. And Naboth says, No, sir, thank you. It's not for sale. The king said, Yeah, but I, I want to buy it from you. He said, I'm sorry, sir, it's not for sale. Yeah, but I've got all these other properties. I'll trade you for it. No, sir, it's not for sale. I like this one. No, but I'm going to pay you all this. No, sir, it, 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 it's just not for sale. Thank you. And so King Ahab goes back crying to Jezebel, and he goes home and gets in bed and gets in the fetal position, sucks his thumb, and he's crying, and he's depressed, and he's upset. And, and Jezebel comes in and says, Honey, what's wrong? Tell, tell Mama what's wrong. And so he said, I wanted that, that vineyard down there, and Naboth won't sell it to me. And Jezebel said, said, honey, you want that vineyard? Mom will get you that vineyard. And so she had Naboth and his sons killed. And so she comes back to Ahab, and she said, Mama, got you that vineyard. You just cheer up. Go down there and take possession of your vineyard. And Ahab was so happy. He was so excited. This all in 1 Kings chapter, what, 22? And so... So Naboth go, or, or Ahab goes down there to take possession of his, of, his, of his vineyard, but there's a prophet named Elijah. And Elijah come and meets him, and he said, he said, I know what you did. And I love Ahab's response. Ahab said, Elijah, my old enemy, have you found me? He said, you better believe I've found you, you rascal. I love Ahab's response. Elijah. This is the king scared of the prophet. 
Are you here? Is the king scared of the prophet? It's not the prophet scared of the king. He says, Elijah, my old enemy, have you found me? He says, yeah, I found you. I know what you did. And let me tell you something. Because of what you did, you're a dead man. You will die. And not only that, that perverted woman you're married to, it will die and the dogs will eat her and there will be nothing left of her to even bury that nobody will recognize. That's the prophet talking to the king. Can you imagine what the secret service would do? The church ran things all the way through the Word of God, all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament. Everybody And everybody knew it. Some didn't like it, some didn't, didn't, didn't obey it, but they paid the consequences. It was the same way in the New Testament. Jesus stood before Herod and told him what to do. Pilate told him what to do. Paul stood before Agrippa and before Festus and before all these other. I mean, it was the it was the men of God running things. Are you here? And you know the story. Elijah, uh, Ahab went out in his chariot to war, and somebody shot an arrow and, and hit him with the arrow, and he bled out in his chariot and died. And Ahab, Elijah had said to him, said, you're a dead man and the same dogs that lick the blood of Naboth will lick your blood. And so when, when Ahab bled out in his chariot, then the young soldier took the chariot down to the water to wash the blood out of it, and here came those dogs and licked the blood. And then a while later, the prophet, Elijah, went over to another prophet and got one of his sons. We don't even know the kid's name. He was just one of the sons of the prophets. And Elijah got him and said, here, take this box of oil and go down here and knock on this door and ask for a young military man by the name of Ahu or Jehu and uh, take him in the back room and tell him God's anointed him king and pour this oil over his head. What? This young kid, this young prophet that we don't even know his name is going to anoint a new king. We're not going to vote. We're not going to know what and what. I mean, and the king's still around. I mean, the king's still there. And so this kid goes down there, knocks on the door and says, I need to speak to Jehu. Jehu said, that's me. He said, well, I need to go to the back room. We got a, I got a message from God. So they went in the back room and he poured oil over Jehu's head and said, God said, you're the king. You're anointed to be king. And he said, well, if I'm king, I better get busy. I'm going to kill Ahab and every, every descendant he's got. And so he jumped on his horse and took off riding. And he rode so crazy. This is 2 Kings chapter 10, chapter 9 and 10. And he, he drove so crazy that everybody knew who it was. Some of y'all may be known by the same way. It said, it said he was known for his, for his furious riding. And so when they saw him riding, they said, that must be Jehu. And sure enough, when he got up there to where these two other kings were, they sent a messenger out to stop him and ask him if he came in peace. So they go out there and say, stop, 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 stop. Jehu, uh, the king wants to know, do you come in peace? He said, what do you know about peace? Get out of my way. And then this other guy comes out and says, stop, stop, stop. The king wants to know, are you coming in peace? He said, get out of my way. You don't anything about peace. And so then the, he gets to the two kings and, and, and they said, uh, Jehu, do you come in peace? He said, no, I don't come in peace. He said, your mother's a whore and her witchcraft and, her, and, and, and all of her whoredoms have affected this nation and I'm going to kill her and kill you and kill the whole bunch of you. Now get out of my way. And those two kings turned around their chariots and took off running and he took his bow and shot and killed one of them. 
It's serious stuff, isn't it? And then he rode his horse into town. And whenever he started riding into town, Jezebel heard that he was coming. The Bible says she heard that he was coming, so she fixed her hair and did her makeup. Said, said she painted her face and plaited her hair. And so when he started riding into town, she ran to the window and opened the window up and looked out to watch him drive in the, in, come into town. And he looked up at her and saw her, and, he, and there's some soldiers up there standing beside her. He said, throw that woman out of that window. And they just grabbed the queen, pitched her out the window. This is the queen. But who's in charge? It's the man of God that's in charge. The church is in charge. You've got authority. You've got dominion. You've got the name of Jesus. You've got the word of God. You've got the Holy Spirit. You're in charge. Amen. You're in authority. And the Bible says that she fell and, and, and hit the ground at Jehu's feet and that the blood splattered up on his horse and up on the wall. And so he just got off his horse and went, in, and went inside and had something to eat. And when he finished his meal, he said, you know, guys, that woman is a daughter of a king. I guess you ought to go get her and bury her. They said, yes, sir. They walked out in the street to get her and bury her, and they came back in. They said, uh, there's not anything left of her. The dogs ate her, and all that's left over is the palms of her hands, her feet, and her skull. And that's what Elijah had prophesied to Ahab. Won't be anything left to recognize to bury. Amen? And we can go through all the Old Testament, and you see that prophet after prophet after prophet. Who anointed, who anointed Saul to be king? Prophet Samuel. Amen? Who's the one that told Saul what to do? Samuel. Who's the one that rebuked Saul when he, got, when he didn't do right? Samuel. Samuel came to him one day and he said, he said, Saul, God wants you to go over here to this town and he wants you to absolutely wipe it out. I mean, kill every man, woman, boy, girl, dog, cat, mosquito. You, you kill everything that's living over there. Don't you take one thing. Don't you bring one thing back. You burn it to the ground. And he said, yes, sir. But he went over there and didn't do that. He went over there and he said, oh, yeah, that's kind of a shame to... You know, maybe I'll take this, and maybe I'll take this, and maybe I'll take that, and here's some sheep, and here's some cattle, and here's some, here's some gold, and here's some stuff. And so Samuel comes back and says, uh, King, did you do what I told you to? He says, yes, sir. Sure did. And Samuel says, why is it then I hear the bleeding of the sheep? What did you do? What did you do? Well, but I, I just kept the best so I could offer it to God. That's not what I told you to do. I told you God wanted you to go over there and kill everybody, and don't you bring one thing back. So Samuel takes a sword and goes in there and kills every one of those, kills all those, everything. And he told Saul, he said, you, 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 you're in trouble. So then Saul decides he wants to go to war. He's the king. He's going to go to war, so he decides I'm going to go to church and get blessed before I go to war. So he goes down to the temple, but the prophet's not there. And so Saul looks at his watch, and he looks at his watch, and he says, hey, I'm the king, I'm important. How come the preacher's not here? And he walked, and he paced, and he waited, and he paced, and he didn't like it, he didn't like it. Finally, he said, oh, well, forget it. He said, I'm anointed of God. Samuel poured oil over my head. I'm anointed. I don't need a preacher. I don't need the priest. I can just do it myself. I'll just stand up here and, and, and run the church service. So he stood up and ran the church service, and in walked Samuel. He said, what did you do? He said, because you've done this, the kingdom is taken away from you. 
the anointing's taken away from you, and you're going to die, and Jonathan, your son's going to die. You are not the priest. You are not the man of God. You're just the king. You're just the king. See, the church still has that position today. You're in charge. It's not Washington, D.C. It's not Hollywood. It's the church. But see, they tell us all the time, oh, you're nothing, you're nobody, oh, the church isn't important, oh, the church needs to shut up, oh, the church needs to be quiet. You know, they passed laws years ago that your pastor can't stand in the pulpit and tell you who to vote for. Why do they do that? David Letterman does it every night. I mean, every night of the world, Letterman tells you who to vote for. Leno did it. And they're talking to millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of people. Why, why are they scared of the church not scared of Hollywood? See, they're afraid that if the pastor stands up, if the man of God stands up and starts telling the church, hey, we're going to vote this way, we'd totally run everything. We'd run everything from the White House to the courthouse to the schoolhouse. Isn't that right? Because what they don't want you to know is that there's a bunch of us. Christians, see, we, 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 they tell us all the time we're not many. And we look around in our churches all over the place in the country. We've got our 100 or our 200 or our 500 or our 1,000 or our two or 3,000 or whatever, you know, two or three mega churches in the, in the nation. It's got some tens and 20,000. But, you know, you average, Brother Hagin used to say the average word church 75 people. But, you know, we look around and see our bunch, and we think, oh, we're not many. We're not much. And we look at that other bunch and say, oh, man, they're everywhere. They're, they're huge. But that's not true because, you know, how many churches are in this town? And how many churches are in the next town, 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 in the next town? If all of us got together and all of us said the same thing and all of us did the same thing and all of us voted the same way, why? The church would be in charge again. Amen? So we need to understand blood warriors. We need to understand spiritual authority. We need to understand the words of our mouth. We need to understand how, how to make these things happen. We need to understand that heaven's watching the word to perform it. Watching the word to perform it. Have you guys got those photos I sent you? Can you, can you, show, me, can you show me some of them? If you do, give me the one about, uh, give me the Mexican one. That's, that's good. This is in Mexico. This little girl right here, don't look at that black spot on her back just above her, her, her waistline. Because all that is is hair growing out of a birthmark. It has no significance whatsoever. But you see her spine curved over here to the left? She had terrible scoliosis. And uh, you can see she's standing crooked and what have you. Um, one night I was in Guadalajara ministering the Word of God in Mexico and, and for a pastor friend of mine at a church. And he said, Brother Terry, would we, could you do an outside meeting? And I said, well, you mean like a big crusade? He said, well, no, not a big crusade. It would be like a neighborhood crusade just for my church. And let's just see if we can attract some people in the neighborhood and get them saved and and get them healed. I said, sure. So we built a little small platform and strung some lights and put some speakers up. And we had a week-long, you know, outside meeting, crusade-type meeting outside with salvations and miracles. And, and the very first night, I uh, preached the Word and then got people saved. And then I prayed a mass prayer. we not laying hands on people. just prayed a mass prayer and then told people to check themselves out and do the impossible. And if you couldn't move, move. You couldn't do something, do it. And then come up and tell us what God did. So they did. They came up and gave some testimony, good testimonies. And and then I dismissed the service. He'd come back tomorrow night. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Come back tomorrow night and hear the word, and God will do more miracles. And so here comes this mama. Service is over. Here comes this mama bringing this little girl. 
and she marches her right up on the stage, up on the platform, and she spins her around with her back to me and takes her dress and pulls her dress up like this, and I see this scoliosis, I see this curvature of her spine, and uh, Mama said, pray for her. And normally I would. Normally I'd just do what Mama told me to do. Uh, but this time I said, well, Mama, I said, uh, I've already prayed. I said, I prayed a while ago, and the anointing of God went into your baby girl just like it went into everybody else in the place. And I said, that anointing's in her right now working on her, working on her, working on her, working on her. And I said, here's what I want you to do. I said, you bring her back every night this week. Don't you miss one night. You bring her back every night. And I said, I give you my word as an apostle of God, as a man of God in the office God's called me to, that before I leave here, her spine will be straight. And so she didn't like it, but she said, okay. Next night, I, pr- I preached a message. I prayed for salvation. I prayed for miracles. People came up and got, gave testimonies. I dismissed the service, and here she comes right up on the platform, spins her around, raises her dress, and says, pray for her. And so we went through the same conversation. Every, this happened every night. Every night, every night, every night, the whole week, she'd march her up there, pull her dress up, and nothing's changed. And I tell her every night, before I leave here, I give you my word as a man of God in the office God's called me to, her spine will be straight. And so the very last night, I preach the message. I pray for the sick. I pray for salvation. People come up and give testimonies, and here she comes. I dismiss the service. Here she comes right up on the platform and spins her around and turns her around to me, and her spine's just absolutely, totally straight. Show me the next photo. Next photo, I'm holding her so you can't see really, really plain, but you can see her spine is absolutely and completely straight. I took my finger and just started at the base of her neck and just went right all the way down to her tailbone, just, just as straight as an arrow, completely healed. Now, now, why it took God a week to do that, I don't know. I don't have any clue why God took a week to do it, but we have to operate as blood warriors, and we have to declare what the Word says to us. Amen? Show me the, the first Guatemala picture. Guatemala. There you go. This little baby girl is dead right here, and uh, she's only 13 days old, and uh, I was preaching in the jungle of Guatemala, and took American medical doctor with me, good friend of mine. He's now in, uh, the head over one of the hospitals in Tulsa. Um, <clears throat> and took him to the jungle with me. I said, hey, hey buddy, you want to go do some jungle doctoring? I'm going to go do some jungle preaching. And the missionary down there has a little clinic, and he'd love to have a real doctor to come. You know, in, you know, in the mission, they, they treat the missionary like a doctor. You know, you're not a doctor. You don't want to be a doctor. You don't know how to be a doctor, but they treat you like a doctor. I delivered my first baby when I was 18 years old, and I didn't know where babies came from. But I was in the, I was in the jungles of Guatemala, and they said, you got to come quick. This girl's having a baby. And I said, well, good for her, you know. <laughs> and they said, no, no, you got you to come. you got to come. I said, no, I don't got to come. And they said, yes, you do. And so we argued, you know, and I finally went. I'm 18 years old. Now, you have to understand, I know your kids today know where babies come from because we, we see it on TV. I mean, it's everywhere. But you have to understand, 1968, we, we didn't know the stuff. You know, in 1968, Desi and Lucy slept in twin beds in pajamas. <laughs> you, you understand? I mean, on television, you didn't see, you didn't see anything. And uh, I go down there, and here's this little girl. I see a little girl. She's about 13, 14 years old, and she's wife number four or five of this guy. He's butchering a hog five feet away from where she's having a baby. And uh, they looked at me and said, what do you want us to do? And I said, I said, what any guy that watched Gunsmoke and 
Ponderosa and all the western dock sawbones would have said. I said what? Boil water. It's exactly what I said. Because I didn't have a clue. I said, boil water. They looked at me funny and they boiled water. They brought me this big pot of boiling water and said, what do we do with this? I, I don't have a clue. I, somehow I knew I was going to have to cut something. I wasn't sure, but somehow in my brain I knew I was supposed to cut something. So I took my hunting knife out that I'd been killing monkeys and skinning stuff with and threw it in that boiling water. And, uh, you know, and, 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 and I had enough sense not to bathe the baby in it. But anyway, I delivered this baby. Nevertheless, I'm just telling you, they, they treat you like doctors. And um, I can tell you a lot of gross stories. But, but uh, anyway, um, this missionary was, a, was a, 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 not a doctor, but he ended up being a doctor because they, all the people would come to him all the time. So he actually built this little two-room clinic, and he had a ham radio. And so when he had a real serious situation, he'd call doctors in the States on his ham radio and say, what do I do? And here's the symptoms. And they'd tell him what to do. And so, so he called me and asked me if I'd come preach a crusade. He'd gather all these villages together to come to his, his place and preach a crusade. I said, sure. And he said, do you know a doctor? I said, sure. He said, bring a doctor. It'd be great to have a real doctor. So I bring this medical doctor friend of mine from Tulsa. And, and so we, we go down there. And, and, and so every day I'm helping him in, the, in, the, in this clinic. And I can tell you a bunch of miracles that happen while he's down there. I won't take the time to do it. But uh, it's already 7.39. Did we start almost two hours ago? My goodness, y'all got a fast clock in California. And um, are y'all still okay? Yeah. And, and, and so, so I would help the doctor in, in, in the clinic during the day. I'd interpret for him and help him with the people. And, and then we'd doctor the people. And then at night, we'd go to the river and have a bath and change clothes and walk over a few hundred yards away and preach a crusade. And in this one particular night, we had worked all day in the clinic. We had had a bath and walking over to the crusade. And here comes this couple, this Guatemalan couple, with this baby in their arms, this little tiny baby girl. And, and they walked up to me, and they said, we heard there's a doctor. And I said, yes, there's a doctor right here. And so they just said, she's been sick. She's only 13 days old, and she's been just like this ever since she's been born. And uh, we, we just, you know, and, and so he just took them and the baby and left and went back to the clinic. I went back on over to the, and to the crusade and, and preached. While I'm preaching the crusade, the missionary that lives there walks up and whispers in my ear and says, the doctor said the baby's dying. Get the people to pray. And I thought, well, I don't want the people to pray. They're, they don't even know how to pray. You know, and some of them aren't even, most of them aren't even saved yet. And so I just stopped and I said, I said, there's a baby over here at the clinic that needs to be healed. We need to watch out sometimes how we, how we word our prayer request. I didn't say there's a baby that's dying. I said there's a baby that needs to be healed. Sometimes we stand up in the church and say, pray for Aunt Susie who's dying with cancer. Well, we need to say, we need to phrase it a little bit different if our words are going to count and, and, and be something. And so I just said, and I'm going to pray, and everybody just agree with me. And, and, and so I stretched my hand over here, and I stopped and prayed, and, 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 and it said, Father, I decree as a man of God in the office you've called me to of an apostle, this baby will live and not die, and declare the works of the Lord in Jesus. And then I went on and preached the crusade, prayed for people and had some miracles and had some salvations. And, 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 and when the meeting was over, nobody had come from the clinic yet, so I went back over there. And when I walked in, you know, I find this baby laying on the, on the table, and, and the doctor says to me, he says, Terry, said, there's not anything I can do for her. He said, I've already done things that, that if I was in the States, they'd put me in jail for. He said, I've, I've tried to help her every way I can. I need a hospital. I need a pediatrics ward. I need, I need medicine. I need equipment. I need machines. I, I need stuff. And I said, sorry, dog, we don't, we don't, we don't have stuff. You know, we just got to do what you got to do. 
And so uh, we prayed for her. And I could tell you a lot of stories that we did. I could give you lots of details, but with the time I won't. But it, it got pretty hairy and, and pretty detailed. And I even did some stuff I've never, you know, I've only told two or three churches about over the years. But, but anyway, uh, let me see the next picture. I think, I think in the next picture, just about the same thing. Me and the doctor just leaning over. And at some point there, and she died. And uh, the doctor, you know, checked her and said, well, she's dead. And so I, I reached down and picked her up and held her up before God. Now, again, there's other details in there, and other people came and went, and, and we had all kind of little head-button situations about what to do and different things. And, but I picked her up and held her up before God and uh, began to pray. And, uh, and I prayed, 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 and I prayed. And this went on for hours. I didn't realize it went on for hours, but I just kept praying. I'd put her in my arms and carry her around, and then I'd hold her out like this, and I'd talk to her and say, Sugar, you listen to me. You listen to me. You, you'll live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. You hear me? You'll live and not die. I will not bury you. You hear me? I will not bury you. You'll live and not die and declare the works of the Lord in the name of Jesus. And I'd carry her and I'd carry her and I'd talk to her. And finally, the doctor at 3 o'clock in the morning said to me, he said, Terry, Terry, and he grabbed my arm and jerked me and said, Terry. And I said, what? He said, I'm, I'm concerned about you. He said, that baby is dead. You understand me? D-E-A-D, dead. He said, she's been dead for a long time, and you have been praying for nine hours. And he said, you need to put her down. Put her on the table. We'll bury her in the morning. Let's go to bed. He said, at least you got her parents saved hours and hours ago. Something good came of this. But he said, it just didn't work. He said, I did everything I could as a doctor. It didn't work. You did everything you could as a missionary. It didn't work. He said, sometimes it just doesn't work. And he said, you know, you've prayed every prayer you know to pray. And he's right. I'd prayed everything in the world I knew to pray. You know, the three people Jesus raised from the dead, whenever he raised Jairus' daughter, there in Mark chapter 5, he took her by the hand and said, Talitha Kumi was being interpreted as damsel, I say unto thee, arise. So I took that tiny little hand in my hand, and I said, in Jesus' name, Talitha Kumi, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And she didn't. And then to the young man, the widow's son from Nain, when he passed the funeral procession he said young man i say unto thee arise i said to her young lady i say unto thee arise in jesus name and lazarus he called for said lazarus come forth and so i called her name was blanca so i said blanca come forth in jesus name so I, I i prayed everything i knew to pray but i just stayed with it and stayed with it and stayed with it and i talked to her and told her i wouldn't bury her and told her she'd live and not die and, and so uh, he said it's been nine hours i'm concerned about you you need to put her down and we'll bury her in the morning and i said doc you leave me alone now, he wasn't doing anything wrong. He was not a bad guy. He's a good guy. But, I mean, after nine hours, he said, hey, you know, this didn't work. And uh, I said, Doc, you leave me alone. I said, you go to bed if you want to, but I'm not going to bed. I've got a job to do, and I'm not going to bury this baby. Now, you, you, you just do whatever you need to do, but I, I'm not going to bury this baby. And so I prayed and prayed for another three hours. And finally, at 6 o'clock in the morning, I've been going for 12 hours now, at 6 o'clock in the morning, I said to the devil, I said, devil, you might as well. I mean, the sun was just coming up out there in the jungle. I said, devil, you might as well give up because I'm not going to. I said, you've caught me in a situation to where um, nobody has more authority than I do. I said, this is my jungle. It's not your jungle, my jungle. I said, I'm not in the States. I'm not in a hospital that's not my house. Now, I'm not against doctors and nurses. Thank God for doctors. I'm one of the biggest fans of doctors and nurses and hospitals and medicine. Thank God for them. Thank God for them. But that's their house, and they're in authority. 
And I'm not mad about that. I don't, I'm not upset about that. It's just the life. That's just the way it is. It's their house. It's their authority. And so, so a lot of times in a hospital, when a pastor goes in to pray, the, the, they will kindly, most every medical profession I've ever met, uh, they'll kindly give you about 30 minutes to pray. And then finally they'll come and they'll say, now, Reverend, you know, you need to go ahead and go now. Or, or Reverend, you need to comfort the family. Or, or, or Reverend, you need to let us do our job. Or, Reverend, you need, you know. And a lot of times I'll say, no, this is my job. No, Reverend, your job is to come for the family. I say, no, no, this is my, no, Reverend, you need to come for the family. I say, well, if I do this, I don't need to come for the family. If I do this, they won't need comforted. But finally they say, no, Reverend, you're going to have to go. Well, it's their house. See, and so we're talking about spiritual authority. And so, you know, you have to abide by their rules. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I'm just saying that's not bad. It's just a fact. But I said to the devil, I'm not in the States. I'm not in a hospital. I'm in my jungle. It's my jungle. I said, now, the parents had authority. And when they came, they didn't ask for a man of God. They said, we heard there's a doctor. They didn't say, we heard there's a man of God having miracles, so would you pray for her? They said, we heard there's a doctor here. So the parents had authority. They came and gave it to the doctor. I'm totally out of this loop. I have no authority whatsoever. But I come back and the baby dies so now nobody has authority, so I'm taking it. And I said, I've got authority over this situation. You know, and the, doctor, the doctor's through. He's done. He has no authority. The parents don't have any authority. They're done. So I'm just fighting this battle. And I said, I, I, I've got authority here, and I'm not going to bury this baby. She's going to live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. And, and you know, that, the devil just got, at that point, got discouraged, I guess, and left because God raised her up and, uh, and, and healed her of what was killing her. And uh, minister, give me the last, the last photo. Last photo, you can't, she's alive here. And uh, i show you this photo because you can look at me until I've been battling for 12 hours. I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, I look like I've been beat up by hell. But uh, she's alive and well at that point. And today she's 30, well, that was March of 1979. So how, how old does that make her? Is she 38, something like that? Uh, she has three kids. She serves God. I still hear from her from the jungle. Uh, and uh, when she was a little girl, as she grew up a little bit and was a little girl, they'd take her through the various villages, and she'd sing songs for Jesus, and they'd tell how God raised her from the dead. And so all these years, you see, I stood on that platform and said, I decree she'll live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. And so all these years she's been able to, uh, you know, I've said before, she may, not, she may not ever die. I mean, who knows? I mean, every time her body gets sick and tries to die, she'll be hearing my... I don't know how many thousand times I said to her, you'll live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. You'll live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. But see, we're, we're, we're blood warriors. That's what we're made for. It's what we're supposed to, it's what we're supposed to be. Amen? There, I was going to show you another, but I won't. We, we won't do that just for time's sake. There's so many miracles I can share with you and so many testimonies I can share with you. But, but all the supernatural of God is available to us. But we're going to have to be willing to be interrupted. Amen? We're going to have to be willing to let the Holy Ghost interrupt us. And we're going to have to quit being passive about this stuff and start being blood warriors. Start being warriors. 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 Amen? Amen. I, um, Oh, man, I've got testimonies running through my mind by the, by the gazillion. Let me tell you one. I think they'll all help you, but it's kind of like, what will help them? Let me just tell you one real, 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 real quick. And uh, I, know that's, I know that's debatable on what's quick and what's not. But 
probably depends on whether you're sitting there or up here. Um, you did say go as long as I want, right? Let me just tell you one thing because I think this is so powerful. Years ago, I was preaching in Trinidad. And, in fact, Renee and, and, and Dean, her husband, had come down. Uh, and Jackie and I were in Trinidad, and we were doing an open-air crusade, and they'd come down and to, to be with us in the crusade and stuff. And uh, they, uh, we did this open-air crusade, and then the final Sunday we were there, I was preaching in the church. And in this church, uh, I had finished preaching Sunday morning. I would prayed for people and had salvations and what have you and dismissed the service or turned it back to the pastor, and he had dismissed the service. And so uh, when he dismissed the service, I went on outside just to shake hands with people as they came out, you know, to greet them. And so I went outside on the porch, and, and, uh, and, and as people came out, I shook their hand and greeted them, talked to them. Finally, nobody else is coming out anymore, and so Jackie still hadn't come out. My wife still hadn't come out, so I thought, well, what's going on with her? And so I went back and opened the door and looked in to see where she was, and, 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 I, and I opened the door and looked in, and she's standing down here by the platform like this, just kind of standing by the platform, and she's looking over at this right-hand side of the church, or left-hand side to, from my vantage point over here. And so I looked over there to see what she's looking at, and there's just this whole bunch of Christians that are trying to cast a devil out of a girl, a lady, a young lady. And uh, they're just all, f- I mean, there's this pile of bodies and arms flailing and, and hands and stuff. I mean, just, and so Jackie's just standing there watching all this like this. And so I, I, I said, I tried to get her attention. I said, Jackie, Jackie. And she finally looked up and she said, come here. I said, no, 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 come here, let's go. And uh, she said, no, come here. And I said, Jackie, let's go, let's go. And she said, no, come here. And I, I pointed at my watch and pointed at my mouth and pointed at my stomach. I said, let's, let's go, let's go eat. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. And she said, no, come here. Well, you know, in the South, when you're serious, you call people by both names, you know. So I said, Jackie Noel, let's go. And she said, Terry Lynn, come here. I don't know why I thought I was going to win this. I don't, know, I, don't know, I don't know why I bothered. And so I said, what do you want? And she said, I want you to do something about this before these Christians kill this girl. And I said, all right. So I came in, and I walked over there to that pile of bodies, and I started grabbing Christians by the neck and the collar and, and arms and just throwing them off the pile until I got to the bottom. And here's this 18-year-old woman, young woman, young girl, and she's pretty much naked. They've just about got her totally out of her clothes. And she's demon-possessed. I get that. But, you know, she's on the bottom of the pile. She's naked. Uh, and she's got snot and tears and hair all over her face. And, you know, I mean, none of this is pretty. And so uh, I, I, I reached down and, and, and grabbed her. And as I grabbed her, I grabbed some of her clothes and just pulled her up like this and wrapped her clothes around the front of her like this. And then I just grabbed her in my arms like that and cast the devil out of her. And uh, then I took her over here and sat on the front row, and I got her saved and got her filled with the Holy Ghost. And so after all that's done, then she, I said, tell me your story. What's the deal with you being demon-possessed? And she said, she said Brother Terry, she said, I, I, have, uh, I, I have six children. I said, you're just 18 years old, you just told me. She said, yeah, but I have a couple sets of twins. And she said, I've been living with this guy since I was 13. And, and she told me some gory stuff about that. And uh, she said, I've been demon-possessed for so long. Now, most demon-possessed people know they're demon-possessed. They don't know what to do about it. But a lot of them can tell you when the devil came in, why he came in, what they were doing, what happened. Know they're demon-possessed, just can't do anything about it. 
And, uh, and, and so she told me, she said, I've been dealing with this for so long. And she said, but here's, here's, here's what happens. She said, every night the devil comes into my house, every night. She just sat there talking, matter of fact. And I, and, I, and I knew this was true. I knew she wasn't just putting me on because, you know, I, I know Trinidad and I know the voodoo there and the witchcraft there. And, and, I mean, I could tell you some really weird manifestations of really weird stuff. We didn't give the devil any credit. But she said, every night the devil comes in my house, every night. And she said, it gets just cold and clammy. And I said, I know that too. And I, know, I, I recognize the devil. And she said, well, when he does, she said, uh, the, the silverware in the drawers start shaking like this and the drawers open and the silverware starts floating out. And she said, the pictures on the wall start rattling on the wall, and then they come off the wall, and they, they'll, they'll float around or fall or hit the wall or whatever. And she said, and my babies are screaming. Now, now her only point in this whole story is that she's a mom, and she's got six babies, and they're not sleeping. That's her whole point. You know, as a mama, she's trying to get the babies to sleep. She's not concerned about the devil, you know, but she's concerned about her babies being not sleeping. And she said, she said I get my, my grandmother's, my grandmother was a Methodist, she said, I get her Bible every night. And I read to the devil out loud Psalms 91. Now listen to this. That is so amazing to me. I sit there listening to her absolutely amazed. Because here she is, a sinner and demon-possessed. Knows nothing about God, knows nothing about Jesus, knows nothing about the blood of Jesus, knows nothing about authority, knows nothing about dominion, knows nothing about any of this stuff we're talking about, but she knows the devil will obey the Bible, her grandma's Methodist Bible. And she said, every night I read to him Psalms 91. Now, she's not using the name of Jesus. She's not using the blood of Jesus. She's not rebuking him. She's not, all she's doing is reading him Psalms 91, the Old Testament. They that dwell in the secret place of the Most High shall... Uh, can you imagine? Can you imagine? And she says, and, and then when I read it, and he's not gone, I read it again. And then I read it again. And she said, usually it takes three or four times. But she said, I have done it as many as a dozen times before he leaves. She said, then I put the babies to bed and get them to sleep. I pick up the pictures, put them on the wall, pick up the silverware, put it in the door. And the next night we go through all this again. But I was so amazed because I thought, here she is, a, de- a demon-possessed sinner girl, understands more about the power of the Bible, the Word of God having dominion over the devil, than most born-again, spirit-filled, word of faith, hand-clapping, foot-stomping, tongue-talking Christians in America. How many of us would stand and read the devil, Psalms 91, 12 times, a dozen times? Most Christians, man, they're going to be out of the house. But here, this little girl, sinner and demon-possessed, understood that this has more power than him. That he will, at some point, he will obey this word. I mean, we got the blood of Jesus. She didn't have that. We got the name of Jesus. She didn't have that. We've got all this. But here she understood that he will submit to my grandma's Bible. Isn't that amazing? That's one of the most amazing stories I've ever heard in my life. T.L. Osborne said to me one time many years ago, he said, Terry, I said, I'm really impressed with watching you and with some miracles and stuff. And, and I said, well, thank you. I mean, thank God, to God be the glory. He said, yeah. But he said, you, you know how to make the devil mind you. And I said, well, I never thought about that. He said, well, I've watched you. You know how to make the devil mind you. And then he made this statement. This is where I'm going with this. He made this statement. He said, you've learned that you always stay till the devil leaves. 
That's a powerful statement. You always stay till the devil leaves. You always stay till the devil leaves. We, we, we're, we're blood warriors. We're covenant people. We don't tuck tail and run when he comes in. We, we stay till he leaves. And that's probably one of the greatest things I ever heard the man say. Because, you know, so many times as Christians and as Word of Faith Christians and as Spirit-filled Christians, so many times we'll just rush up to the hospital to pray for one of our friends. We'll run in on our lunch hour and we'll just lay hands on them and say, okay, be healed. I call you healed in Jesus' name. And then we leave. And the devil's never left. He just kind of moved back and stood in the corner while you were there. And then he just goes back and does his job because you hadn't been there 15 minutes. But yet, you know, if we'll stay till the devil leaves, last man standing wins. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? Praise the Lord. Did you get anything out of all this tonight? Well, it's virtually, it's 758. Stand up with me. If you'll stand up, maybe I'll hush. I said that one time years ago when my kids were little and one of them turned to their mom and said, if I'd known that, I'd have stood up a long time ago. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for ministering to us by your spirit. Thank you for an understanding of being blood warriors covenant warriors, men and women of faith, men and women of God, men and women of the, of the covenant. Thank you that we stay till the devil leaves. Thank you that we know how to use the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the covenant of God, the word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. We're willing to be interrupted. We're willing for the Holy Spirit to do anything he wants to do and we'll submit to that and follow suit. Father, I thank you. I thank you that heaven is watching the word to perform it. That you're watching your word to perform it. That as we use your word, as we stand and declare your word, then heaven moves to confirm that word. We're not like the guys that stayed in the boat and heaven didn't do anything for them. We're, we're going to get up and step out of that boat. And heaven will move for us. Father, in everything we do, in our prayers, in our tithing, in our giving, in everything we do, we're going to do it as blood warriors, do it in faith, and do it because of the word. And because of the word, you'll move on it and do exactly what you said you'd do. And we thank you for it. Because we're not going to be passive about it anymore. We're not just going to plunk our offering in the bucket and say, okay, God bless it. No, we're serious about this. Father, we take this seed and sow it. And you said if we'd sow it, you'd multiply it back to us again. When I take my hand off this, off this seed, I can say amen or so be it because it consummates my part of the covenant and it looses you to do your part of the covenant and take it and multiply it and give it back to me again. Father, when we pray about anything, it's that way. When we go to the word about anything, it's that way. Encourage us and help us, strengthen us to be like that little demon-possessed sinner girl that we know, that we know, that we know, that we know the Bible trumps the devil. The devil submits to the Bible. That we can take the word of God, Old Testament and New, and beat him upside the head with it and win every time. And we thank you for it. We thank you for it and give you glory and honor and praise and majesty and dominion in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen, 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 amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. Well, hallelujah. I don't know how that was for healing school, but we'll, uh, we'll uh, submit it as that anyway. Praise the Lord.
you need prayer tonight, I want you just to, well, actually, if you need prayer tonight, just come on down. I'll pray for you. Well, that's a rare thing you ever get me to lay hands on somebody. I usually pray mass prayers. I almost just said, put, hand, put your hand on yourself and your other hand up to God. But if, if, you want, if you need prayer tonight, if you came for prayer tonight, come on down. Let me minister to you and pray for you. I hardly ever, ever, ever do this. Ever, ever, ever. It takes more time. And, and uh, me and the Holy Ghost are just so used to doing it the other way and see so many miracles that way. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. But, you know, I look at these churches today, and I, I see that people need help. They need touch. They need healing. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, man, there's a bunch of you. Okay. What I'd like to ask you to do, if you'll do this for me, I want to ask you, I don't mean to be mean about it, but, but if you're going to come, I'd like you to come now in faith and not wait till later, not wait and see if somebody falls or if this something happens or not, and then come later. Just If you're coming, come now, and I'll wait for you, happy to wait for you, delighted to wait for you. But once I start praying, then I'd rather nobody else come after that. It just has something to do about moving in faith. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Praise the Lord. Now, y'all stay with me and stay in faith with me and go ahead and worship the Lord. Or, Jackie, if you want to come worship the Lord or whatever, if you're leading in worship, stay where we stay in agreement that we can uh, believe God together. Praise the Lord. Okay, everybody here that's coming? Praise the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to lay hands upon these precious ones. Jesus said, the head of the church said, lay hands on the sick in the name of Jesus, and they shall recover. The original language says, hands they shall lay and heal they shall be. So, Father, as I lay my hands upon them in obedience to Jesus, the head of the church, then I expect as I do, the tangible anointing of the Holy Ghost of Acts will flow out of me and flow into them. The anointing that's on me will flow into them and heal them and cure them and make them whole and well, that the anointing, the anointing destroys the yoke. The anointing destroys the yoke. Whatever yoke might be represented here, that the anointing destroys it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And when I lay hands on you, the anointing is going to go in you. I want you just to receive that. Receive that and mix your faith with it in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. Y'all just stretch your hands toward these folks and believe God with us. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, the anointing, the anointing, the anointing, the anointing, go into his body right now to do what needs to be done. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, the anointing, the anointing, in Jesus' name, the anointing, in Jesus' name, I curse disease from his body. In Jesus' name. Father, in the name of Jesus, the anointing. Go into her from her head to her feet to heal her and cure her. In Jesus' name. Body, be healed. In Jesus' name. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, the anointing. The anointing. You're right there. The anointing. Minister to her right now. In Jesus' name. Father, the anointing of God. Go into my brother to heal him and to cure him and make him whole and well body, line up with the word of God, be healed in Jesus' name. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, 
the anointing, the anointing. Yeah, that's good for you. The anointing, the anointing, destroy the yoke of bondage in Jesus' name. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, the anointing, go into her from her head to her feet and heal her and cure her in Jesus' name. Now receive that right now. Be healed in Jesus' name. In the name of the Lord Jesus, the anointing, go into her. The anointing, go into her in Jesus' name. We're praying for the baby or for you. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, the anointing, the anointing, go into this baby. The anointing, the anointing, Father, the anointing, heal and cure and destroy every yoke of bondage in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus, the anointing, go into her. Yeah, the anointing, the anointing, destroy every yoke of bondage. Now be healed in Jesus' name. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, the anointing of God flow into her. Mm, thank you, Father. Yeah, the anointing, the anointing, the anointing. In, yeah, right there. Now receive that in Jesus' name. In the name of the Lord Jesus, the anointing flow into her right now. From her head to her feet, body, be healed. Receive that in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, the anointing, the anointing of God, destroy every yoke of bondage in Jesus' name. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, the anointing, flow into her right now in Jesus' name. Yeah, that's good for you. That's good for you. In the name of the Lord Jesus, the anointing, flow into her. The anointing, thank you, Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus, the anointing, the anointing, the anointing in Jesus' name. Now receive that. The anointing in Jesus' name flow into her to heal her and cure her. Body be healed in Jesus' name. In the name of the Lord Jesus, the anointing flow into her. Holy Ghost power flow into her to heal her. In Jesus' name, in the name of Jesus, the anointing. Father, healing in these ears. Deafness, go from her. Ears, come open in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus, the anointing. Mm, the, right there, right there. Now that's it. In Jesus' name. Now receive that in Jesus' name. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, the anointing. The anointing going to my brother right now to do what needs to be done and destroy the yoke of bondage in Jesus' name. In the name of the Lord Jesus, the anointing. The anointing. Now receive that right there in Jesus' name. In the name of the Lord Jesus, the anointing. The anointing flow into her. The anointing destroy everything that's not of God in Jesus' name. Amen. In the name of the Lord Jesus, the anointing flow into my brother. Body, line up with the word of God. Receive that right there and be healed. Be healed in Jesus' name. Glory to God. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, the anointing flow into her. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, the anointing flow into her and heal her father in the name of the lord jesus healing healing in the name of the lord jesus flow into my brother and heal him the anointing of god destroy the yoke of bondage body receive your miracle be healed in jesus name in the name of the lord jesus 
the anointing go into my brother and heal. Now, body, line up with the Word of God. Receive your miracle in Jesus' name. In the name of the Lord Jesus, the anointing, the anointing. Yeah, receive that right there in Jesus' name. In the name of the Lord Jesus, the anointing flow into my brother and heal him. Heal him, body. Receive your miracle. Live in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Where am I at? Over here? Thank you, Father. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. Father, thank you. Hey, buddy. The name of Jesus, the anointing, the anointing, the anointing, the anointing, the anointing, the anointing, go into his body and heal him and cure him and make him whole. Body, be healed. Be healed in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Praise the Lord. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, the anointing, the anointing, the anointing, the anointing, go into his body, creative miracle for him, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Now, body, receive that. Receive that. Life, life, be healed in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, the anointing. Go into my little sister now. The anointing. Heal her in Jesus' name. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for Dale. Lord, the anointing of God on him like never before. The anointing. Minister to him in Jesus' name. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, the anointing. The anointing. Heal. In Jesus' name. In the name of the Lord Jesus, the anointing flow into him and heal him. Body, receive that. Be healed. In Jesus' name. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, the anointing. Yeah, that's it right there. The anointing. The anointing. Destroy every yoke of bondage. Body, be healed. In Jesus' name. In the name of the Lord Jesus, the anointing. All the anointing. The anointing go into him right now. And destroy what's not of God. Body, be healed in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Everybody say, I'm a believer, not a doubter. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, the anointing. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. The anointing. Go into her right now and destroy what's not of God. Body, receive that. Be healed in Jesus' name. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Oh, the anointing. Yeah, that's good for you. The anointing. Go into her right now and do what needs to be done. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus. The anointing. The anointing. Flow through her right now to do what needs to be done. In Jesus' name. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus. The anointing. Go into her right now. The anointing. Yeah. Receive that in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, the anointing flow right now. The anointing. The anointing. Do what needs to be done in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. We'll give God a shout. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. 
Let me, let, me just, let me just say one thing to you, that, that the anointing of God went into you and uh, is working in your body, actively working in your body. And it's good for you just to begin to do what you couldn't do. If you couldn't breathe deep, breathe deep. If you couldn't lift your arm, lift your arm. If you, couldn't do, if you had a tumor, check it. If you had something else, physically see what else you can do because there's a, there's a, there's a point there of you're acting your faith. Are you moving on the Word of God? And uh, the second thing is when you realize you're healed, then uh, tell somebody. Don't keep that a secret. Tell somebody, God heal me. God heal me. Anybody here that you've already been able to tell that, that God's healed you right here? Yeah. Anybody that God's healed you tonight? You can tell the difference tonight. You know what tonight? Praise the Lord. Anybody? Yeah. Another here. Thank you. Okay. It's important that you tell somebody that the Lord did it, that the Lord did it. And some of you wake up in the morning and say, oh man, God heal me. Or I slept last night or I don't have this pain or I don't have that problem or whatever it might be. But it's, 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 it's just vital. Jesus said, if you'll testify me before men, I'll testify you before my father. So it's vital that you give God the glory. Amen. Well, thank you. You've been gracious and wonderful and marvelous. And, uh, you know, we're, we're somewhere all the time. We've uh, some nation somewhere. And so uh, we, we covet your prayers. We really do. We covet your prayers. If God wakes up at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, it may be noon where we're at, and we may need prayer. So we do, we do covet your prayers, and we appreciate you. Mark, come on and, and uh, dismiss or preach or rescue the folks or whatever. There, are, there is product at the table that if you want that, it's available to you. And uh, again, we just uh, uh, have enjoyed being with you. You've got a great church, great pastor, good friends. And uh, we're excited about what God's doing. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Well, thank you so much. Um, I want to tell you a very quick story. Uh, it's a story I don't get to tell as often as I would like. But uh, uh, take it for what it's worth. I... Uh, when I was 15, I was supposed to die. Uh, the doctors told me I would either be dead or brain dead by the time I was 20. Actually, a half of my brain shut off for five years. And in five years, I had three thoughts. I'm not kidding. I'm not being facetious. I, I remember them. They hurt. That's why I remember them. And um, you know what? I got better. <laughs> Uh, I am, I'm 28, I'm neither dead nor brain dead, and that's a great thing. But I'll tell you what, I didn't get healed um, necessarily because I had faith in being healed. I did, I knew about it, but I was healed basically by the mercy of God. I was, I was a really s smart, stupid high school student. And uh, by smart, stupid, I mean I, I did well at school, but I didn't have a clue about spiritual things and how they worked. And God was merciful to me and he healed me. But you know what? He had to do it two more times because I kept doing the same thing over and over again. And if you actually believe something, it should change your life. I got it one day. And when I did, I haven't had a cough drop since. But you, but I had to get it. I had to get it. And then I had to change something in my life to keep it. 
when Brother Terry was praying over people tonight, he said what? He said, the anointing of the Lord. Do you know that's your title? You're Christianos. You're Christ. You're the anointed of God. That anointing is on the inside of you. It's there, but you have to take advantage of it. I wasn't taking advantage of it, and it meant I missed a lot. I had no high school, no childhood, basically. It was stolen from me. That's dumb. Get angry enough at the devil that you won't let him steal it from you anymore. I've taken back what was taken from me. My mind works now. (laughs) Can you tell? Do the same thing. The same thing. Instead of saying just, I'm going to get better, I'm going to be best now. I'm going to be functioning as God created the human body to function. Not growing weak, not growing weary, but with all the power of God. That's a cool thing. I'll leave you with this idea. I love church history. And there are two councils in, in, in church. In, um, uh, the, the first is called the Council of Nicaea, and the second is, 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 is uh, uh, the Council of Chalcedon. And it kind of sounds smart, but, 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 but let me just kind of summarize what they said. They took the whole Bible. They took thousands of verses. And they said, you know, um, what do we know about Jesus Christ? And we know he's God. That's what they said at Nicaea. We know he is absolutely, 100%, completely equal with the Father. He is God. God with a capital G, he's not less than God, he is consubstantial. They use the word homoousius of the same substance as divinity. And then at Nicaea, they said, he's not just homoousius, he's not just of the same substance as God, he's of the same substance as us. Do you know what that means? It means that you as an individual, because just like uh, Jesus, according to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, he's the image of God. We're the image of God in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. That means we, in our state, are consubstantial with the Holy Trinity. Do you know what that means? That means you don't have to be too afraid of sickness or poverty or death, because God isn't. You are of one essence, the same substance. That means if you touch yourself, it's like touching God. Now that's an interesting idea, isn't it? It's not just an interesting idea, it's true. Think that way. And see if sickness can stay. It can't. It can't. So come back on Wednesday healed. All right. <laughs> if you haven't been all right. And uh, we will see you on Wednesday at uh, whatever time church starts. I don't know because I'm always here. Uh, so we will see you then. Have a wonderful, safe, blessed night. Uh, and I guess we're dismissed.